Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. I am in Utrecht. Where are you? I'm in Toronto. What are you doing in Utrecht? Utrecht. The big UT. I'm uh, I'm staying here with my parents as always when I'm in the Netherlands. And I'm uh, I was here. It's Amsterdam Art Weekend, and I have an installation Mm. up at the I Film Museum in Amsterdam. Oh yes, that's my favorite museum in um, one of my favorite museums in the world for its large restaurant and cafe, but also for its exhibition. Yeah, so <laughs> so I'm showing work in the restaurant cafe, which normally is not the place where you would want to be in a museum. Oh, not but at that one. Yeah, that's the best so one in the world. The, the, um, it's a big atrium form the the museum with a gigantic window. The idea of the space was to have a very broad view of the horizon because it's a film museum so they wanted a cinematic feel so it's very widescreen mm. you could say and in the back of the the big atrium we put uh, three huge led screens so the portrait oriented four meters high each so it's a very nice presentation of my work and what what i didn't anticipate was that at night you have the skyline of Amsterdam, but then my work reflects in the in the very wide windows, and it it reflects three times the three screens. So you see the work nine times mm. mixed into the skyline. So it was a nice surprise. Very hard to oh, yeah. document. I've, I've um, been making photos, but the experience is very spatial. Um, that's that's great. I mean, th- so I wonder if you can see it from the other side of the water. For people who don't know, it's also like across a channel. Yeah, so of water. you you mm. take this little ferry boat. It's a free boat that comes every five minutes, and people are on there with their bicycles and very Amsterdam. Um, but mm-hmm. you can see the the big screens from across the pond. Cool. It always looks like you're like approaching either like a spaceship or an expensive yacht <laughs> yeah. when you're going. To- <laughs> see, it has this weird shape to it, but. It's funny cool. when when uh, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, when when a state organization, you know that a state can organize a housing project that's kind of sad and gray. But when a state decides, oh, let's make a luxury yacht. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We pour so much it, money. But you into you museums. can go in there for for free if you want to go to the restaurant and have a cup of tea for two fifty, and you could spend two hours there. So, it is a very luxurious mm-hmm. thing that's very accessible. Hmm. No, I love that museum. I mean, I guess I'll say I because I, I mentioned the cafe because I do. I just go there to hang out whenever I'm in Amsterdam. Well, it's also close to the like, train that's station, where I, and, and then the ferry yeah, is kind of fun. To yeah, take. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm usually like staying on that side of the water because it's cheaper. <laughs> anyway, it, it um, also the, cool. it, well, it, it's uh, funny when you. I don't live in the Netherlands anymore, so I don't take all that support for granted. I, I think a lot of people in the Netherlands mm-hmm. are frustrated that there's budget cuts and that things are trimmed but Mm. for me from the view of new york it's still very generous Mm -hmm. but there were some uh cutbacks that caused some beloved art spaces to close uh over the last yeah yeah absolutely but it's still from the point of view of new york it's so market driven and that just ends up being very heavy on painting Mm -hmm. it's very hard to imagine Mm -hmm. in new york that they would rent these giant LED screens for three days to show an animation of uh, some circles moving around. 
And are these the outdoor type of screen that I, that we talked about in the yeah, texture exactly. episode? Yeah, oh, I yeah. love those screens. And the, the color is so uh, saturated. It. Like, it, when you talk about tech and the phones and the laptops, this mm. is the, the mm -hmm. saturation is almost blinding. The other thing is they have an industrial aesthetic. I don't want to go back. No, yeah, that, that's a, like, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the back of the screens is almost it's, as cool as the front of the screens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of looks like the well, that's awesome. a, a early prototype of the Terminator on the back. Yeah, yeah. I'm really into those types of like raw industrial stage aesthetics. I, I don't know. It's just like it's oh, funny it's that the uh, technology and devices more and more try to be invisible. Well, there's a there's like a this new phone out by Razer, who's like a gaming hardware company. They make like they do make laptops and stuff, but they got into keyboards and like gaming mice. Yeah, and they're all about RGB aesthetic and keyboards. Well, they have like a new, like like yeah, yeah, yeah. They put LEDs behind everything, but they have a new phone out that's like just it's basically like this just pure hardware aesthetic. So it's like it's boxy and it's got like you know buttons that are like clicky and metallic you know it's like it looks like the back of one of those uh things it's, i don't know it, it, like, it was funny because I, I, I don't use android but as far as i know the the games on ios are much more developed than on android so they made an android phone but the i don't know I, if that's no, true i haven't you know i haven't i haven't played a game on my phone Ugh, i'm sad to admit <laughs> like like would a you, year would you two, play minesweeper like, if you had it on your phone <laughs> Only if it was Face ID compatible, or if I do. Could, do you want to do a, a, a quick mode. second week review of your phone? Because you tweeted that you don't like that you have to adjust your okay. body to Face ID. Okay. So th that's one thing. But here's—I'll tell you the biggest deal breaker for anyone out there who's thinking about this: that you can change the setting. But it's like I always think about when a product is designed. How did they test this product? Right? Like, did they think about you know the scenarios you'd be in? And one of the core scenarios for phone use, whether or not any of us want to admit it, is like when we wake up and when we go to bed. <laughs> Those are kind of the times where we have the guilty phone pleasure. I hate to say it, but it's almost like the masturbation for our generation. <laughs> so it's like so during those moments, like, you know, your 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 face is super relaxed. One eye is all you usually need. One eye might be like well, cloud also the right screen into that is so pillow bright because that you want you full can't handle the light immediately. <laughs> that's true yeah so i usually only have one eye open during this this exercise so the phone knows <laughs> this <laughs> and so the phone is like hmm, one eye open i don't think he's looking at it because it requires quote-unquote attention but you can um, turn that attention and it will automatically you can but it'll automatically dim the screen but like Okay, so why'd you put the feature in if I have to turn it off, right? Like, who is this for? So, like, but basically, I'll be reading a news article or a book, and the screen will turn off while I'm reading it. I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> it's like, and, it, and it's basically like, well, you weren't looking at me, but I was with yeah. one eye. The, th the thing is, so. I'm really on the fence of buying this phone or not. That was no, the deal breaker. <laughs> I, I really don't need the, the better phone. The only thing that could make a difference, like uh, taking pictures of, my installations, which there's usually a professional photographer, yeah. but I get those uh, images a week later. So for Instagram and stuff, it's nice to quickly take pictures of an installation. And if those mm -hmm. pictures are better, it's mm -hmm. better. But the the other the thing... pictures are good. Yeah. The pictures are good. And They're in good low pictures. light and yeah. stuff. But the other thing is the screen is bigger, but then 
there's a notch on top which takes about five percent and there's the, the the drag to home screen thing uh, at the bottom which takes about five percent so yeah. is it actually and the screen is not wider than the iphone 7 or iphone 8 yeah, how I much mean, of the like, extra I space mean, like, do you really use you this is not a utility conversation <laughs> no but like, when people when the plus when it the is plus the way came i just out, described it was like, it. okay you can really can get more done yeah yeah is that how you make decisions? Yeah. Like, for, I mean, I think this is a good segue into our topic today, but like I make decisions not based on... No, but you told me when you got the desire. plus, it's like, oh, I don't even need my laptop anymore. <clears throat> That's how I justified it. You know, like, but like, what do I, what I really wanted, what, like, I don't know, you know, often you don't know why you want things and you know that you're being advertised to. This is my segue. Well, yeah, no, but this is a good exercise <laughs> because we're talking yeah. about the, the yeah. world's uh, largest company that is very yeah. good at persuading yeah. people. So and, like, and especially so like, Apple is really great at selling you more than you need because you're like, yeah, this is fine. But what if you had this? You'd be more professional. There's only there are two things that are going to control whether you get this or not. One, my peer pressure on you. <laughs> two, if you if you hold and like if you like are to hold it in your hand. That's true I, I for went to the store device, to though. hold it in my hand. I didn't like that the screen was that tall. Like it's harder to use with one hand. But did you feel the weight yeah, of yeah, the yeah. device it's in your hand heavy. and the texture of the glass on your fingers? <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have a lighter phone. Yeah. Really. Because that was like a satisfying weight to me. But you're you know, a lot stronger like... than me. That's true. <laughs> but there actually hasn't been very good advertising or very much advertising for it. it. It's really interesting. I've noticed. I don't know if it's the same in New York, but they have these very simple ads that just say iPhone. And then it just shows the screen. That's it. Like So they're basically saying the screen is it. We don't need to like well, the, throw I, I a hammer through this. I think that would be this, funny. This, I always this. thought about that. What if advertising was only allowed to show the product and the name and not right, say... Nothing it, right, it, nothing because <laughs> when, when I write haiku, I don't know if this is a rule, uh, but it's it's really bad in, in text to constantly put a value judgment next to it. So in, you could start a haiku with saying like uh, late summer sunset and you imagine one. Or you could start it saying a beautiful late summer sunset. Mm. And so you're already forcing mm. the person to feel a certain way, whereas if you're just presenting a scene without telling the person how to feel, I think that's more interesting. So if you take that to advertising and say, like, the world's best phone, and then the picture, yeah. or just say, yeah. this phone. Yeah, that you, you just mentioned, that's a leadership claim, what you just said. But there's that, there are techniques in advertising that you can use like What's that. What's a leadership claim? embed in it you just like what you said the world's best i mean every every brand yeah, but it's, early it, on yeah has to but do it's that. funny because it, it really depends on it basically you're bragging and if the bragging is not verified i guess we're living in a post-truth world <laughs> yeah the only re the only so it's ba it's very much like you know world fame you know stanley's world famous pizza burgers or whatever you know, <laughs> Um, <laughs> but basically like it's, it's a claim usually that people make early on in their, like there are different chapters that a company passes through and the biggest problem they have early on is attracting customers, not because they have a good or bad product because, but because a customer doesn't trust them yet. And so one of the ways that a company might build trust is by saying they are the best at something or they're recognized well, it's funny. by someone in, else. In New York, New York is so this. dense. So you have a lot of the same restaurants right next to each other. 
-hmm. And I live in the mm -hmm. border of Chinatown, Little Italy, and everywhere it says world's best cannoli voted, and then they'll have all these news articles that say, <laughs> and there's maybe 40 cannoli places in a 10-minute walk radius. So yeah. you can have the best yeah. world's best cannoli 40 times. <laughs> and they're all dead serious. They have evidence. They have newspaper clippings. It, it was in print. It says, no, this is the world's best. This, this clear right. evidence, New York Times right. is an institution. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, what's shady about all that is um, uh, these award. You know, you might win an award or something like that, but most of those awards are awards. Yeah, they might have created them they, themselves. The whole, yeah, it's a form of advertising as well. But it, it, but, it, it it's, it's. But, um, uh, so this week's episode is about advertising. Yeah, let's brought, uh, let's yeah, set the record. To you yeah, by yeah. advertising. Um, <laughs> but no, I think advertising. One of the things I always noticed is that. People who work in advertising hate advertising the most, and they're always very conflicted mm -hmm. about it. The general mm -hmm. audience actually likes a lot of ads. They'll talk about, like, did you see this funny ad? And mm. then there's a whole uh, realm of people who think they're unaffected by advertising, who think they're above it, and they're like, oh, I know the tricks, and it doesn't work on me, but it actually is working on them. Yeah, I mean... Advertising has changed a lot over the years. I got my start, I'll, I'll say, like, I did work in advertising. I've produced television commercials, not once, but several times in my life. And none As of them a have communist, been you must have had more <laughs> conflicts. Um, no, I mean, I wanted to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time. And advertising was a great way to do that. Uh, there is a certain, like... And I always recommend to any artist that that's your job. Like, get it. Maybe you know, I, I wanted to so say. You can get back to making I just art. wanted to say this as a starting point that a lot of people hate advertising until you have something, whether it's a product or a service or an idea, that you want people to know about. And all of a sudden, like, oh, that's why advertising exists. Even even if it's a yeah. very noble cause. Like, I've, I've spoken to, I've, I've seen a conference on people who do. Uh, developmental work in Africa that was very successful and they wanted to share the results but only negative leads, uh, news uh, if it bleeds it leads so only negative news gets attention and so they had this mm -hmm. these amazing results with very little money and a very positive effect on education and welfare and uh, health in Africa and just nobody wanted to hear it so that's exactly a case where you could take advertising strategies and let people know about something yeah, I mean, it's especially people get especially upset about advertising when it's used in not for profit or public sector space. But actually, you know, one thing I can I can repeat from like my life working in advertising, but also working uh, behind the scenes building products um, at FreshBooks is that, you know, you can like I'll give an example, like we built a brand new version of our product in secret. And like it had, you know, had better features and it was like, you know, a more beautiful product. And, you know, we put it out into the world and no one said anything about it. Right. Like and, and we didn't use our brand name. Right. So we launched a new company in, in the case of my experience. And so you would just assume that it had all the same things. It was the same product built by the same people. Right. The same number of people should be excited to try it out. Right. Um, and it should the word of mouth should just spread, but no, nothing like that happened, right? So we had to start yeah, buying same advertising. Same for artists, they're like, "Wow, um, I just made this great work, but nobody cares." Yeah, you bring up a really good point. Like last night, I was um, at an opening, and uh, I met a I met a, a man, an artist, um, who was a fan of my work, and then I started getting to talking to him about his work, 
he started to show me some of his work. And his work was like, it was great. It was amazing. And I was like, this works fantastic. Where is he, where are you showing it next? He's like, oh, I'm having a really hard time showing uh, and getting shows. And I was like, well, why? Like, this is this works incredible. Um, and, you know, it, it seemed to he come sh- down to the fact that he was in, in Toronto, right? To a podcast. He should. He should. Paul, you should. Paul, you should a lot of curators who listen to the show. Out. <laughs> But um, it was funny because we were talking a little, he was saying he was a fan of my work. I was like, why are you a fan of my work? Like, your work looks better than mine. It's like theoretically. You got eight times these the pixels. Why would drawings. you exactly. like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he was showing me patent drawings that were beautiful. Like, they looked exactly like, you know, perfect patent drawings. And this, and it was funny and conceptual. And my patent drawings look like trash. And he's like, no, no, no. And I was like, yeah, they do. They're trash. They're <laughs> really badly and he's like but i saw you did that first and i was like i don't like it was funny he started to like kind of point there's out there's people who undersell themselves you give them a compliment they're like well actually my grandma did it and, and you know and my dog is sick yeah and it seemed like in art you know the advertising is subtler and it's almost more mischievous well, it's, 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 it's a, a lot way, about it, being verified by, by authorities, mm-hmm. so and 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 nobody wants to say it out too loud. It's you have to be tasteful. So it's like, oh, I heard this is really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so he was like, he had thought my patent drawings were good because they'd shown in museums, but like, I was looking at his patents just based on the merit of their work, right? And, but that's and like really how good they. It, that's how, maybe a, an interesting point in the essence of advertising is that most people are not experts. So it's really hard for people to know whether which phone is the best, which painting is the best, whether this is whether this performance mm-hmm. is original or derivative. So that's where the the verification comes in. And there are very few review there are very few review sites for artists. There should be like a Jeremy well, Patton drawings versus Yeah, but Paul's that's what art drawings, magazines were supposed you know? to be. But then there's also a lot of commercial <clears throat> interests right. in art magazines where um, people who advertise they rather, in the magazine. But they rather, but just before, uh, yeah, keep going, it, sorry. No, I'm saying if, if your gallery advertises in art form, then it's more likely that the artist will be featured in a positive way. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But I was just, you know, before I got on the podcast, I was watching a Pixel uh, Buds, like at Google's headphones review versus the Apple AirPods review. And like that type of versus video, two companies, kind of similar product, head-to-head comparison. You almost never see a head-to-head comparison in art. It's always on the merits well, of the artist as the individual. That's also different. It, 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 um, this animator, Chuck Jones, who, who made all the mm-hmm. Looney Tunes, he said, as an artist, you're really, in essence, you're not in competition with anyone else. You're in competition with yourself. Yeah, it's too bad the artists. Yeah, but I, I, you, I think you know, it's like, a healthy <laughs> attitude to see, like, like, where was I last year and where am I now? And I know, so, I know. To me, also... There's there's like these this marketeer type of language where you have an advertising guy like Sachi collecting art. So he has this advertising mindset, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to have catchphrases that capture people's imagination. So he says, "20th century is Warhol and Pollock." Yeah. You know, that's yeah. like saying anything that happened in music was uh, the Beatles and Michael Jackson. And uh, mm-hmm. of course, you don't want to listen to them yeah. every day. So. Maybe you want to listen to Dwayne Eddy, and he wasn't as famous as Elvis, but maybe that song appeals to you more at that moment. But the reason Sachi's doing that is based actually on some 
advertising science, <laughs> which is to say, in in any category, there can only be one market leader and yeah, a maximum this is true of in business, but I don't think it's, it, it's the same thing as saying like, what's your favorite food? And you're like, oh, this is the best restaurant. It still doesn't mean you want to eat there every day. There's this. 21 meals in a week so uh, yeah there's room but, for a lot of yeah. different things but if you're going to get a hamburger you're only going to think of one or two places yeah. like the idea being that there's only so much room in your head that's something to understand choice like the 40 cannoli yeah, mention, yeah, yeah. you know thing no, it's absolutely true I'm sure you've heard of the paradox it, it, it's, of choice it's a lot yeah. about brain capacity because in our previous mm-hmm. episode about fame uh artists are always like oh i, I want to be heard and uh, and then if you ask someone, can you name 20 German expressionists? Nobody can do it. There's not that much room in your head for art history. And I'm someone who goes to museums regularly. I can't name 10 Renaissance artists from France. That sounds like yeah, a good Yeah, but there show. must be many. But it's just funny how what the, the brain capacity is. Yeah, it's an optimization process. So advertisers know that. Um, and there's psychology behind it, like the paradox of choice, which states that, you know, any more than four choices and people get paralyzed by the, their choices. And so they tend to like tr- prefer to choose a winner um, or to choose one from a limited set, uh, despite what your cell phone company might be doing with your plans. <laughs> whatever. Like that's the way most people like to make choices. And, and advertisers have exploited this. Now, like one thing I think is interesting in the history of advertising is that advertising has changed a lot in relationship. Like there are certain people that have come along and changed what advertising is. Advertising used to be, like you said, just like world's best. It's like your cannoli restaurants, right? That was like what advertising was. And it was like long form content. Like if you looked at an ad from the 1940s or something, they like would a make it ad, look like a, an essay, like an article. Yeah, like I want to get the most information about this co- automobile. <laughs> like I need to read the but essay as if it's an article. But that's kind of how things are now, where people read Amazon reviews and like really long reviews on products. So yeah, so let's talk about that because I think it's interesting. Then like this guy, theoretically, and it's not like it's. There's probably other people that came along, but David Ogilvy came along, and he was like, "You have to stop treating." The and it's funny that this was his attitude. It was like you have to stop treating the consumer like a moron. And you have to start like, you know, thinking about them as being more intelligent and you can like speak to them in a more emotional way. Um, And he did like deep, his whole thing was like deeply understand the customer. So like they don't need to know about all of this information. You need to find what like triggers them psychologically and then create an ad for them. And uh, and that's you know what led to that madman era of advertising that we now think of as that, like there was also right? an application of uh, psychoanalysis and the subconscious and uh, yeah. giving yeah. facts about car A versus car B doesn't help, but if you say this car will get you laid, <laughs> you're more of a well, man yeah, so if people, you're in this car and things like that. Yeah, and it's really offensive at times. Like I was, even today, people still fall back on these like old tricks that don't make sense anymore. And that's why I say it's like always changing because it's a cultural product, right? Because it's as soon as you include like the customer the day the way Ogilvy said you should, right? Then you have to start to pay attention to how the customer perceives advertising. Um, famously, millennials don't respond to advertising, but apparently that's not true. I think in a different either. way. Yeah, yeah, it's well, it's anyway, different. Yeah. Again, well, anyway, I, I so think the, the way. Uh, people buy things I think now at least I do I, I have more of a research <clears throat> attitude towards buying things than a previous generation 
Well, I would argue that the media has, like, so that is to say the technology that we use to consume our lives has dictated a lot of the terms by which advertising has changed. So in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, it was television, right? And so the TV ad, or the 30-second spot, as they call it, right, that dictated advertising norms. But what happens in the 90s is internet advertising is born. And then over the last 20 years, most of the advertising happens on the internet, and most of the time you don't even know that it's advertising. And I think, which well, I think it, it, it's also and that it, now if you're a fan of, of a category, so if you're a fan of cars or you're a fan of makeup, you watch all these makeup tutorials and it's entertainment. You're, you're voluntarily watching hours of advertising. Yeah. So like content marketing is what you're signaling and it's like, but it's based on the behavior of the consumer, you already. So before they were advertising that way, yeah, before they were advertising that way, you were paying attention to people who were not advertising doing that thing. And so they just like mimic the media that you already consume. But yeah, this it, idea it's, it's is not like, only that. I think it's really, it's not that the company is pushing things to people. It's also people are begging to know more about something. So it, it goes hand in hand. Sure. But the the basic premise in marketing these days is that you need to create quote unquote value for your consumer through advertising. They won't respond to just pure advertising, and that was what Ogilvy also said, by the way, like forty years ago. Is you got got to stop yelling at your consumer. You have to start to like you know actually understand them, and so that's reached a point now where people like write you know blog articles or create video content or. You know, they create this like kind of what you think is. But they don't an even have to create it. If you think out, if you think about how many makeup tutorial videos there are on, on YouTube, it's it's like mm-hmm. a whole category, or guitar tuning videos, or videos like testing yeah. Uh, yeah. power tools because you want to make your own furniture, and mm-hmm. in all those categories, it seems that it's it's people who weren't paid to make that content who may. It's not the companies. Right. I feel like when, when companies are, try, to, try to do the homemade <laughs> type of videos, they fail. And it's more that if the fans do it, it works. But what you just described is really interesting because you described the other side of you know advertising, which is quote unquote media. So the so those people are actually creating the platform upon which advertising exists. So they're creating would you, <clears> the media. Would you media, still call that advertising? Because if if uh, let's say that somebody yeah. has a, <clears throat> they're not the advertiser, but they're creating the, the space. Like they're they're putting up the billboard. Yeah, but, like, but like what the, power do empty, empty billboard that says your ad but here? But what power do the brands have when someone has a YouTube channel testing graphics cards? Let's say they have all of the space that YouTube gives them around. That yeah, video. but so YouTube holds a lot of power, but Nvidia or whatever other manufacturer has no power there. They just have to make an exciting product. Great. Well, let me tell you what they do, how they have power. <laughs> so what they, the power that they have, they have a bunch of options. Like, you know, the, the old basic option would be like they put a cookie on your computer, which is a, just a small piece of data that, that lets the browser know who you are and what, what else you've done. And then they use that to target you with advertising. Like the most typical example It's really hard for me to listen when people talk about tracking ads. It's like, how in the hell did you not install Adblock? Are you an idiot? It's so crazy to well, me. Well, thirty percent of consumers do. Yeah, it's yeah. so crazy to me. People who don't have an ad blocker because it's it makes the internet faster and more private. Why would you not? And it's free. It's really mind boggling like to me. I like watching ads because okay. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just so funny <laughs> like, when I'm people talk about ads. targeted advertising. It's like, well, there's it takes about half a second, and you can install this thing, <laughs> and you'll never see ads. You don't even see ads on YouTube. Yeah. It's yeah. 
and it's free. Like, why would you I'm not culturally, do that? I'm, I'm, I, I mean, personally, I'm culturally interested in advertising, so that's why I'm talking Well, you're very it, aware of it, and, and you're working in the industry. So you're an expert, but I think the general <laughs> audience, why would you not install an ad blocker? It's, it's mind-boggling. Well, you're making a great point, and the, it's like it's not lost on advertisers. And, and where most of the money in advertising is going now is to, um, you know, other, other. I mean, a lot of it's going to that type of media, but it's going to either other media or other technology. One of the things I think that's interesting in advertising these days is that people are using um, increasingly complex algorithms and artificial intelligence to sort of um, understand consumer behavior and then automate the process of reaching them with advertising, including creating ads that configure themselves or can assemble themselves out of like content so that they can test many variations of themselves so that the ad's not actually built by a designer anymore. But also in a, in a more fundamental way, if, if you opt in because you're interested in a topic and you're interested in a brand, mm -hmm. then you never feel disturbed because like, yeah, I would like to be updated on what, this artist or this musician or this yeah, brand is yeah. doing but then at the same time they get too pushy <clears throat> send you too much so stuff and you get annoyed yeah but you're making an amazing point so why are they all doing this because even among even the best ad people all the best ad people i know actually do legitimately care about not wasting someone's time who hates an ad right the idea of advertising is at least in direct response uh, which is actually not what television advertising is, but in a in a position where someone a direct response means someone has a need, they're in pain, and you're like, here's a band aid, right? Or like, or here's a cure. In that moment, no one is like, ah, oh, I don't want the cure, get away from me, right? <laughs> they're like, they're very excited that how did you know I needed this, right? So that's, that's the holy grail. Yeah, to, to really... That's the holy grail. And the internet made that much easier. And now artificial intelligence makes that even, or machine learning rather, makes that even even easier. I, I don't mind still that hard, there's, still there's tracked ads and that they figure out you're like looking for a pregnancy test and they'll advertise diapers. It's a bit creepy. Okay, but when they know how much money you make and there's variable pricing and they just add 20, 30% to a price because they know you can afford it. You're talking about like airlines and stuff. But I, why wouldn't like, all companies? Like who's, who's well, if it? you have all this this data and they already know your zip code, so they know, or they might know yeah. what car yeah. you drive, or if you have a better credit card than somebody else, then they're like, "Oh, this person can afford it. Why don't we make it a little more expensive?" <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know of any company personally doing. I I've not worked at a company where that happens. It, it, it seems the airline tickets to me is the craziest thing where you just never know what it's going to cost, but. Uh, I don't know if that's the only thing I've heard is that different geographies present airlines. Like if you use a VPN, you can change the price of a ticket by by switching your location. But that's all I know. <clears throat> um, yeah. So FreshBooks anyway, is the same all price all of this for everybody. To say, you guys don't have a different yeah, tier. For yeah. Um, I mean, we have grandfathered pricing. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I know it's the same. Yeah. It's not like there's a Dropbox and like if you order it or if a student. Uh, well, there's student discounts, <laughs> things like that, yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, we don't do student discounts, but yeah. But I think, you know, I bring all this up because I think advertising um, on the internet is an interesting conversation because you mentioned, like, you would, instead of, when you're making a purchasing decision, you would pull out your phone and you'd look up the thing, right? Right in front of you at a store. 
let's say. Or if you're going to make an online purchase, you'll very quickly do some research. Or if you're going to you know, buy an airline ticket, you might look for a promo code using Google. And so you're a more informed consumer. Um, and the advertisers are in a race with you. But ultimately, like the whole internet, the whole it's all built on this premise that you're looking to the internet for solutions to your problems. <laughs> and so that's why, yeah, you're searching for something. And, you know, that is just like, it's crazy because that's informed the entire aesthetic or the entire way the internet is configured and designed, right? And so I know that you've made a lot of work where you present the patterns of the internet, right? Um, where you abstract your abstract browsing series. I've made work where I create advertising that follows you around the internet. But it, I think in both cases, what we're exploring is like that the internet, the way it looks and behaves has a lot to do um, not just with advertising, but I think advertising is a core piece of the fabric. It's a bit like, uh, a, like, uh, like how flowers have evolved. And they're just these, these beautiful things mm -hmm. that attract the attention of bees or other insects. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and websites are the same. They're just like, oh, come back. Well, I, I have well, more. I have more. There's more here. Come, come back. And it's hard for us to tell that anymore. Like, it's only like when you've watched Netflix for two years and then you go back, back and watch net, network television that you're like, oh, my God, how did I ever do this? Well, that's, <laughs> that's the way I feel when people like talk about ads. Track, tra ads tracking them and creepy ads that show up. It's like, how the hell do you not have ad blocker? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, because I think, you know, you know, you're maybe you are responding to those ads every once in a while or we've abandoned. Like, we just believe that that is what the internet can be. Even though in the 90s, I can, I can barely remember an ad. It was mostly ads from other people, you know, advertising each yeah, other. The like 90s web were fun. And things like that. Yeah, it was like a fun time on the internet. And of course, so this week, I, it's hard for me to avoid that uh, the FCC in the United States has stripped away all of the uh, amendments to the law that protected net neutrality. Um, and so... Kept an idiot. We're... we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean not to make this super political but i think net neutrality is one thing that we can all agree on is like a good thing that there not be different versions of the internet based on how much you pay but you can imagine very easily that there'll be a version of the internet in a few years where it's totally free you have it at home right but it, you know like half of the it, it, it's like there are ads intervening throughout your experience right and that's at a condition of your free internet access yeah, it's, a, um, it's like the in, in David, David Foster Wallace's book, Infinite Jest. The, they don't use numbers for years anymore, but they have a sponsored year. So the the year of depends, uh, uh, <laughs> the year of the Big Mac, and uh, yeah, every every name of each year is just a, a brand name. I say all this, and like as an artist, we're. T I think we should get back to artists, like. I mean, we all advertise a little bit. Oh, yeah, and in many ways. And we use the internet to advertise. Advertising you know? is not just like uh, putting your name on a billboard and saying this is a good product. It's also making friends with people and talking to people and telling them what you're doing and collaborating with mm -hmm. other people and uh, organizing group shows and creating energy between... It doesn't feel like advertising, but it has similar results and similar motivations of like wanting to bring attention to an idea and gathering energy. And it's really funny in an opening context because artists are very much like, they're so open and friendly about advertising. In fact, like it's almost like they do pull advertising. Like you, you, you walk up to someone and like, Oh, what are you working on? And then they say the same thing. It's almost like, what's your advertisement today? 
<clears throat> which I've always found quite well. But like, but that, it's that goes fun, back to where, where advertising is now that it, it's uh, more pull than push, and so people are fans of brands or fans mm -hmm. of makeup tutorial or uh, car modifications, and they just want to know about the next mm -hmm. thing coming out. So if Tesla, uh, well, Tesla is famous for, right. for not doing any advertising because their products are so sensational. Like when when mm -hmm. when they announce a new product, it's on every news channel. Right, and this idea of like just like um, surprising everyone with a new product has become a form of staged advertising from a PR perspective or public relations perspective, right? Like Beyonce will release a new album that no one even knew she was working on. Oh my God, <laughs> today, I, how did we not know about this? Because in an era where we know about everything. Yeah, but there's right? also the era of scandals where you'll find out that Uber... Uh, was quiet about a hack and the big data breach, and then they paid the the hackers. Mm -hmm. So that's the opposite of the Elon Musk going on stage announcing a new semi truck, and then Uber is like, oh, well, we lost about a hundred thousand, a hundred million phone numbers. Right. Well, you're, and we're kind of bleeding into PR at that point, but PR is like a big part of every advertising strategy. Um, at any company nowadays, right? It's like, how do we get the news to talk about us? Because that's a great form of advertising. And I think artists engage in this most. Um, at least like... Yeah, maybe... maybe I don't know if, but maybe we could talk not, about... Not, the, not everyone's super strategic yeah, but about it. Just, but. just the thought that it used to be about media buy. So whoever had the most money, you can just repeat Coca-Cola, 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 and they, they do it more than Pepsi. So you like that one more. Yeah. And now it's more yeah. like let's create scandals, whether they're positive or negative, and we don't have to pay for airtime. We just get airtime by being outrageous. Yeah, and the worst case is, of course, it's like... Because even know, for Uber, I think all the negative publicity, the... at least a lot of people are like, hey, what's Uber? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Like that's saying yeah, there's, so there's no such it... thing as bad press. <clears throat> Yeah, it's a, it's a, but it's free product placement ultimately, or free, like you said, like free yeah, impressions. Yeah, because it, it, the brand is mentioned. It seemed, I, I don't know what the results will be in the long run, but even if Uber gets mentioned as with a lot of scandals, it still makes them look like a big, powerful entity. So people trust it. It's like, oh, this is this going to be around for a while, and I like using it, and it's efficient, and even mm -hmm. though they're a bit yeah, evil. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, and. Um, yeah, so it takes up what's called mind share. Yeah, so like I wonder, it, it would be interesting of, to know whether the whole delete my yeah. Uber thing hurt e Uber or whether it actually brought a lot of new people on board as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean I, if, if I you look at the... I using it, then I had to start using it again. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the... It, I think we're so... Anything that comes along that's fun, immediately there'll be some news about it that is actually killing the planet or bad for workers or whatever so like oh wow there's this new thing and it's they're way friendlier than cab drivers and they're so nice all this word of mouth and i was like oh no this is going to ruin the world yeah so why don't we um instead of uh doing something evil why don't we why don't we why don't we do something nice and read an ad from one of our listeners one of our um, early of fans benfino uh today's yeah. show yeah. is brought to you by Small Data Industries. A conservation am I, studio. Am I supposed to read the next Helping <laughs> artists, galleries, collectors, and institutions with the collection, display, conservation, and storage of time-based media art. Small Data is conducting research on how the art world is currently dealing with storage for digital art assets. I took 10 minutes the other day to participate in their research and actually learned a lot in the process. 
Wait, did you actually do that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Oh, okay, I did. I did too. So whether you're an artist, collector, gallery, or institution, if you have digital artworks and are thinking about storage, check out smalldata.industries forward slash storage. Again. Again, that's, that's small, small data oh yeah, do it. dot industries slash storage. And we'll put that in the show notes too. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> You're we, I, we, we're, we, I, we did talk about how we would read that as <laughs> ad hoc. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, but I, now this the, is also an advertising the, the strategy. If, if the ad looks sounds pre-recorded, people wander off. So because we're making mistakes, we're keeping people's attention. That's right. Ooh, uh, what what mistake are they going to make next? It's like a NASCAR race or something. <laughs> Who's going to crash? But it's it, it, it's um, I, I really uh, go check it out because it's an interesting research, especially if you're in some way involved with media arts. So. Actually, I was curious how you responded to that. There's some, I had some feedback for Ben about it because like my answer to every question was just Dropbox. <laughs> like, I use, how do you do, what's your media storage? Like it's Dropbox. What's your, what's I haven't your, thought about what's anything What's your file else. system? What's your hi- file history? What's your security system? And the, yeah. 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 I think for see, most, for like most artists, the, Dropbox the, is good enough. But like, why aren't we getting paid by Dropbox to say that? Actually, I yeah, if Small Data Industries had a Dropbox comp- competitor product, would anyone would we use it? Yeah, I mean, it's nice to support a friend <laughs> for sure. But I think I think when it comes to storage, you want to have the feeling that there's a a million people, like a, a beehive, working on it, and if if one person gets sick, the other one can take over. Hmm. But a lot of these like big companies have started to like make mistakes or fail, right? Like you mentioned Uber a second ago, but there was the Equifax scandal. Yeah, there's a weird thing. We we have the BYOB website and it just disappeared. The account is gone. No, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make a more plain text, simple website and then people can just hashtag on social media. So it, it's okay, but it just disappeared. It's like... Wait, if I go there now, it's gone. Yeah, but, but it has even so much it, history, yeah. all these images. I, uh... Well, I have all those images <laughs> archived on my computer. But um, oh, okay, I, I emailed support, and I might email some people I know who work at Tumblr. Uh, it happened before that someone hacked it and put the weird code, and the the website looked all jumbled. But now someone just hacked it and deleted the account or something. Oh wow. That's. I mean, you did share the the login quite liberally. No, no. Uh, people were included aspect. included as uh, contributors, but not as admins. So they didn't have any oh, okay. access. Hmm. So back to uh, the topic of the day, though. Tumblr potentially is an interesting uh, platform to discuss in the history of advertising, because there was no advertising on Tumblr, and it was kind of like a wonderful early internet. Even though it wasn't early, it was like a revival of an early internet. Yeah, like a free space um, for weird then, stuff. Like, why don't people use Tumblr anymore? I, this is just like I'm. I think because people are on I'm, their I'm phone more, cause... and then Instagram is easier. Right. So Instagram's the new Tumblr, but you, you don't like see the same kind of content. You don't like reblog stuff on. You can't. You can't even without a stupid like plugin or or, or other app reblog. I find. I find that so irritating. It's like it's it's like the yeah, but they didn't want know. it to be Tumblr. I, I, so I I do think it's good that they they decided to be different. Because mm-hmm. if if they, day, if they had a reblog, podcast, like, let, let's say they had a reblog feature and they allowed animated gifs and they also allowed desktop uploads, it would have been exactly Tumblr. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, on the topic of advertising, I think it's interesting to think about like not just artists, but the individual and whether how much of our lives are now spent actually engaging in what would have be considered professional advertising work like 30 or 40 years ago. So if you think about it, like <clears throat> we've talked about brand on the on the podcast before and, and, and yourself as a brand and like the pros and cons of that. But like if you think that along those lines, you know, quite often people are actually advertising in on on because of social media but also on the same platforms as advertisers they're creating content and competing against those advertisers and so what i've noticed is people using the language of advertising more and more the best example i can provide is like go on gofundme which is like a crowdfunding I thought platform. you were gonna say go fuck yourself um, this new platform <laughs> <laughs> of course you're always thinking that that's just around the corner go <laughs> but on gofund on gofundme like the People, the the number one the, the number one category of of uh, of campaign is for those or is for people with cancer or some other medical debt, and they create campaigns where they advertise oh, like them, themselves. It's crazy, right? But they're like they're putting together a pitch or a I, unique I don't value think proposition, any or positioning, all of the things that go in. That, that is so crazy when you think happen. about it. That it's like, what's the future? It's like. Terminally ill people whoring themselves out in a brand way. That's really well. Sad. It's weird, right? Yeah, like Ogilvy wouldn't be like in the future. We'll all advertise our cancer <laughs> <laughs> to try and get it funded. In the future, we'll <laughs> die of new diseases and try advertising tactics to survive. But the internet becomes this place where we're ser- again we're searching and we're searching for a solution to a problem. It just turns out that the solution that we've found is to use the same means of production as the advertiser. And I just think that that's really interesting. And I'm always in conflict about it as an artist. And I don't know if you are as well, where I don't want to push my stuff too hard online because even though I satirically play with that, it'll be like, I think ah, that's, I, you know, I like, think I just that's don't want to come guilt. out this way. <laughs> why, I, why do you think that? I think you you have a problem being proud about accomplishments because you feel like you've been dealt such a good hand that then you're embarrassed if you do well. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's the it's fundamental a, it's a very problem. Canadian thing, I'll say. No, it's not Canadian. I think it's 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 a privileged thing. So it, it's also in other countries. But I, there was a quote from uh, uh, one of the players of uh, uh, Sonic Youth. And they were talking about the beginnings of punk and hip-hop, and they were at the same time. And in punk, it was always frowned upon being materialistic or showing wealth. And in hip-hop, that was, mm. that was from the beginning, it was aspirational, and that was a whole part of it, of uh, getting out of the bad situation and growing into prosperity. And that was the whole... Mm. Uh, and, and boasting is such a part, part of rapping and battles and, and graffiti and crossing the other one and very competitive... So um, I, I'm not saying it's a black and white thing, but it, it's there's something about northern countries and being it, it's very frowned upon mm-hmm. boasting. Right. Yeah. But so that's why I guess where it's an interesting parallel is that boasting is advertising in its crassest forms looks like boasting. But that's actually bad advertising. Maybe that's what the point I want to make, which is like because I've worked in advertising the, you know, the golden rule of advertising is it's never about you. It's about your customer. 
So you would never, you're never supposed to use like the words we or um, like us and like, in, unless you're referring to a collective movement and it all, it's always about like you, the consumer, right? So like, you'll see it written in copy or you'll hear it in an audio. It'll be like, you're the type of person who loves to eat on a Sunday or you're, you know, whatever. I mean, that's or your everyone, family, but, your, your uh, family deserves better. Yeah, and the idea being that what they're trying to do in that moment, based on the the copywriting books that I've read, is, or what you're trying to do if you're doing that, is uh, is, is if you use that kind of language, it actually substitutes uh, internal uh, thought in the person's head. So the person, as they're hearing that, is thinking it, and it's self-affirming. That is to say that they believe that they are thinking that, even though you're saying that to them. So it's a bit of a psychological hack. And it's one of the way, you know, but it, if you do the opposite, and this is what a lot of artists make this mistake, uh, I think as well, a lot of people and a lot of early brands, they'll talk about, well, we, I do this and I do that. And you've been in conversation with someone before, I'm sure, where they're just talking about themselves. Yeah. And, and even if they're like, even if they're 20, not, 30 minutes. even if they're not directly talking about themselves, but they're talking about their position. So let's say there's a difference between market driven art and curated driven art. And so the people who are in the in the biennial curator camp say, oh, the market is all about money and the market is stupid. And that's self-branding by pulling the other side down. And then the other side is like, mm-hmm. oh, why do they always get into the museum? Our work is theoretical as well. Just because it hangs on the yeah. wall doesn't mean it's not radical. And so both camps are like battling each other and trying to uh, obtain value by pulling the other one down. That's a form of advertising. And that's... It's the worst kind of advertising. It it's, kind it's, of what, sometimes what works. what really There's ruined the Democratic Jack Party because Tr- their, their whole campaign was like Trump is bad. Yeah, if we do a later episode on positioning, which is a component of successful advertising, it is one tactic you can use. It is a very hard tactic to use if you don't also extort a something a benefit for the consumer but like if it's just a like it's a it's two of us against each other and you don't matter as the consumer then it's terrible. it kind of worked with the mac pc ads with the pc guy and the mac guy yeah kind of but like the the most famous example that did work of that type of advertising was um this used it, sorry it was like for rental cars and like it was for Avis. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. It's like, I think um, budget was number one and Avis was number two. I can never get the right what brand it was, but they said, you know, Avis, we're number two, so we try harder. So that's not about... But that's not exactly putting the other one... Even though they said we try one, harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not directly putting the other one like down. It, they're, they're just saying that they'll do a exactly. better job. But yeah, I'm saying distinctively, yeah. when one, you hear artists talk about other modes of working, and there's always this thing, it's like, Oh, people have lost touch with realism and and perception, and that's stupid. But (laughs) no one ever fights for the other side. They're always fighting for their own mode of working. But you're making my favorite point. You're making my favorite point for me, which is that like so much of the art world could do so much, could reach so many more people if it learned this fundamental rule of advertising, which is like, do not talk about yourself. (laughs) Talk about your customer, right? And but that's so offensive for some reason to artists. I always said it's the only business where the customer is always wrong. And yet, like I mentioned Ogilvy at the beginning of this podcast, because your customer is not a moron. And for some reason, actually, you know, the end of his statement is, is quite offensive. His the real statement is your customer is not a moron, it's your wife. But <laughs> your customer is not a moron. It's your best friend. It's like 
it's your colleague at work. It's someone you know that's like gone to school for architecture or is a lawyer who spent 10 years in school. They're like, I just don't understand why it, it, artists it is always assume that the yeah, world is wrong. But it, it's also interesting that art is so much about an individual voice and you can only yeah. be that kind of individual voice if you're delusional. And so it, it takes a certain kind of uh, self-admiration to get out there and make things that people really don't need and say, yeah, this is worth a hundred thousand. Like, yeah, like it's a really, but to really, uh, when you make art and you don't really believe in the value of it, it's very, very hard to continue for, for decades to persist. So you have to be delusional. So, yeah, but here's like a little tactics or a little trick for our listeners, which is the next time you're out at a, an opening and like the exchange is like so what are you working on spend you can you definitely say talk about what you're working on but like spend most of the conversation being on the other end of that you know asking but about do, do you that, i think you, the, you're the saying this without having empirical evidence because i don't know if you would take the the hundred most successful living artists and probably all of them are egomaniacs that only talk about themselves so i'm not sure if your tactic is is proven to be better <laughs> Like, if you meet really? a Marina Abramovich, I don't think she's going to say for hours, oh, Jeremy, tell me about what you do. She says, what can I get out of you or get out of my way? I think that's what the, the really mm. the top 100 artists, most of their attitudes is like, how is this conversation going to help me or I'm going to do something else? Maybe that's why art is like increasingly less relevant to audiences or something. You know, like, yeah, but that's I worry the, the, about that. Yeah, but um, the... The whole mechanism and, and the way things are supported is not to please large numbers of people. And maybe, I mean, maybe you're saying it's also a rejection of the psychology of you know, our culture that's built on advertising. But at the same time, like, I, it's hard for me. You. Like, my practice doesn't. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fine. I'm happy for those people. Yeah, because I, I don't, I, and I, I don't know any mega artists personally. If, if I speak about mega artists, I mean artists who have about 10 to 20 museum shows a year and sell works for a million or more, whatever. You, you know what I mean. I don't know that many But I don't find person. you very selfish in conversation. Like, no, I, but I'm not I a mega you artist. Ask me a lot. Yeah, I'm not a mega artist. I'm talking about. Oh, that's what's the, holding the, you back. The, the big, big. So I. From what I've heard from people who work with mega artists is that they're all completely self-obsessed and only talk about themselves. So it's funny that you bring that up. Mm. But it's exactly what would like I I would disengage. I would not be interested in that artist at that point. Like it's a, it's just a complete like psychological off switch. No, I I agree. And the, and if you look at uh, marketing strategies of like how to create an online brand is like listen to your audience talk back to them be nice and be interested mm -hmm. and uh, think about feedback it's not what you think it should be it's it's about a conversation with mm -hmm. your audience but uh, and i have no idea if there's examples of artists that are that kind of artist that is very feedback driven and listens and uh, i don't mm -hmm. know yeah, it's an interesting point. It, it's, all, all I'm saying is maybe, there's there's yeah. no empirical evidence, so we're we're just chit chatting. But there's there's no empirical evidence which strategy works better. I mean, maybe you're making maybe there's like a a middle ground though, where it's not like the the nihilistic like or dictator kind of narcissist artist, and it's not the like m kind of psychologically manipulated 
false there, there's, there's a very <laughs> funny there's a artist. funny video Damien Hurst has its, his own museum or a big gallery and he, he showed Jeff Koons I think the bit the first show he did was Jeff Koons so they're sitting next to each other and Jeff Koons has this shtick where he will never say anything negative like, someone will kill his mom and he said oh that's very interesting so they interview Damien Hurst about Jeff Koons' work, and he's like, well, I've collected every stage of his work, and I wanted to show his development, and blah, blah, and he's really an incredible thinker, and he changed the world, and blah, blah. And then they asked mm-hmm. Jeff Koons, so what do you think of Damien's work? And he said, ah, yeah, he's a very good artist. And it was so clear that he doesn't <laughs> like his work. <laughs> It, it was it was very subtle, but it was completely clear that by saying that he just said, "Yeah, I don't care at all." Like you'll you'll never. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Koons only speaks about historical figures. He only, he never speaks about artists in the present that he likes. Right. Well, I think like it's also interesting because in previous episodes we've talked about like different artists being first to do something, and we've really like you know hyped up different artists and and sort of packaged them as products that we talk about um and it's just reminding me that like a lot of it is mythology though it's not really but it's also again that that limited brain space like oh video art oh yeah yeah onkavara bill viola that's all you can remember mm -hmm. well because i mentioned namjoon pike being sort of the inventor of sorry not yeah namjoon Uh, pike yeah yeah, but like Nam Nam June Pike actually wasn't like a reader. Uh, sorry, a listener sent in you know a note like actually it was you know Marta Minut. Yeah, it, it was like Marta Minujin, and I and was it like, was a who woman. is that? And you're like, Oops. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. What it, but it's like the real history was erased and replaced with this like kind of packaged product. And a lot of um, a lot of art history is I'm national asking, pride. Like, who so did there's that? there's a lot of countries that will create a myth and uh, it, it's very important for a country to be like, oh, what is this country known about? You you guys make cuckoo yeah, clocks or what else do you make? Right. And that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to get out right now. Or the point I'm trying to make now is that like maybe it's not in control of the artist as much as it's in control of other, you know, powers, whether you said like it's a government or a museum or a writer, they're repackaging history as products and and creating a certain kind of advertising. Yeah, like I think and right now it's interesting. Like that, the material. Right now it's interesting that people will go back into history and look at what women did in abstract painting, and a lot of interesting things happened that didn't get any attention at the time. And like, oh wait a minute, this person right. did a lot of interesting things. So um, there was abstract art so, before so for before feature, Kandinsky, so go, and it's like, oh, it was a woman. Yeah. And so the the kind of feature for feature, the work was either similar or even maybe that that work was superior or vice versa. And but it, it's the re, it's like the packaging actually isn't the artwork itself. It's like the it's the institutions that surround it. And actually, when you think about it, that makes more sense in a way from an advertising perspective because the people with the most media are the people with the most power, and those might be institutions, right? Because um, they have larger audiences. Um, or a more yeah, specialized audience, a more powerful audience. <laughs> There's also this, this funny thing that when you bring up, you can see everything through the lens of advertising. So you can think of a school as a place that advertises itself and uh, is a commercial entity. You can think of art history as a big um, 
institution that's basically advertising that will say, okay, this is the best impressionist, this is the best Renaissance artist, and that creates the value. Um, I think that's also a sign of the era we grew up in, that we see everything through. Like you might have a hundred years ago thought of advertising as a form of history, and now we think of history as a form of advertising. Mm-hmm. Well, what, one, I, I mean, one I, of the things that's I, I think about that, like that, that growth and self-promotion and aspiration and uh, motivation and greed are so deeply embedded in our culture. And it's maybe similar to mm-hmm. how people in the 1400s thought about God. They didn't even think about whether they were religious or not. It wasn't even an option. Mm-hmm. Well, religion was a form of advertising. I mean, that's... The, yeah, like, or advertising is a form of religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I, mean, I, I like to think yeah, I, I, I like think to think about day. things in terms of energy and you're you're trying to create energy around your idea and you need that energy, whether it's money or attention or verification, and you need mm-hmm. the energy to sustain your practice or to continue your ideas. Right. If we strip away all the professional terms, what we're talking about is energy and attention, right? Like if we get rid of all of the industry l- lingo, it you know, it, thinking about the church example too, it's like, okay, People are getting some benefit psychologically out of this thing. And, you know, in exchange, get, there's attention and energy comes in the form of maybe donations, but maybe just volunteer hours at the church or something like that. Or, or maybe um, energy in the form of, community. of, of in people. Way, community. I think one of the, the, the highest goals is that you make building blocks that other people can build upon. But even then you need advertising because you let's say you figure uh, out, a, yeah. you know what I mean? No, yeah, you're taking me down this road where, like, you know, we got the Seth Godins of the world and other people that write books about, like, you know, finding a parade or a tribe <laughs> and exploiting it. <laughs> so corny. Uh, uh, and <laughs> so, it's so corny. But, yeah, like, advertisers or brands are desperately trying to get get to the place where a lot, the, a lot of artists have already figured out, which is that community matters um, and that, like, the energy that you're talking about comes from it's collective. It's not, I mean, I know we've talked about a lot of singular energy, but you can't do anything alone. Even the artists like Marina Bromovic, she's saying like, what are you going to give me or I'm not going to do it. She's still probably exchanging value with people. She's probably creating. I, I don't know her personally. Her. So she might be awesome in person, but she uh, just, when I see interviews with her, I, it feels like she would be a person who would talk more about herself than ask questions about others. I wouldn't exactly say that people are huge fans of Marina Abramovic anymore, though, right? Like, um, anyway, yeah, as a person, she doesn't have a great, like, I wouldn't say she's top of the brand list. I mean, the way, the way, the whole story of her. That could be a mispackage. The whole story of her and her partner and, you know about that, right? Ulai. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like she's a sweetheart. (laughs) Well, I mean. She basically kicked him out and said, and, and rewrote history and said, I did it. Well, I have other examples of that, but then again, that just comes back to my repackaging and like, it's funny, my dad was a packaging designer uh, most of his life and I didn't talk very much about this, but the reason I worked in advertising for a lot of years is that my dad worked in advertising and then he later worked in packaging because it was like higher profit margins, but also he was really good at it. Like he invented um, the Tropicana orange with a straw in it. That was like his concept. He actually invented that for another brand and then Tropicana took it Um, and then he also uh, invented the Cottonelle kittens. That was my mom's idea to have kittens and toilet paper because she's like, toilet paper, it's so offensive. Like, let's put some, 
it's with some kittens in there. They're soft, right? Like you don't need to put bums. And it's, shit it's so funny package. your background and then uh, <laughs> your your personality. You were born in a bed of advertising, and your whole sentiment is is about uh, more state control and sh- spreading, uh, sharing wealth and wealth redistribution, and uh, giving chances to everybody. It's very opposite to working in advertising. But that's, I mean, that's your idea of who I am. But I'm also always in conflict, as I assume you are. And like, our, no, but our listeners are also always in conflict. They're always, I think you're torn between these two, these two worlds, the singular versus the, the communal, um, like, you know, rags to riches versus like communist manifesto or something like that. Um, and I, yeah, I haven't resolved that. I don't think I'll resolve that, but it is part of my identity and I don't deny, it. I mean, working on TV ads is super fun having worked on several TV ads. Cause it's like a huge production and there's huge money being spent, um, well, the, it's really fun to spend two hundred thousand dollars in six hours. <laughs> like, you're like, oh yeah, we need a, we need a, the, why don't that the table doesn't look right? We'll get a new table. I don't think that teacups are. Oh, we'll we'll just get a new teacup. You know, craft services on the lot. We need some food. Like everything is taken care of. It's like a, the most amazing kind yeah. of one, surreal experience. One thing that's also funny is that uh, when you talk about uh, the artist reaching a bigger audience, I thought of when Louis Vuitton or brands like that collaborate with artists, all of a sudden they reach a much bigger audience. So before uh, Louis Vuitton, most people know, only art people knew about Yayo Kusama. And after her collaboration, Mm -hmm. she's just a phenomenon and she's an Instagram phenomenon and people love her bags because people already love polka dots. So if you have artist polka dots, that's even better. Yeah. yeah. So there's the thing we and Murakami we, was. You know, it, it, yeah. It's it's funny. You have this more egalitarian approach of like, if you want to make it as an artist, you should reach out to people and listen to them. But actually, what worked <laughs> for them is like, okay, find the most capitalist thing, which is the luxury industry, things you don't need, and sell for a lot of money by creating hype, and then push the artist. Yeah. Just put all the attention on the artist. Push, 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 push. Uh, don't listen to the customer. Just say. We made a bag with these organic dots instead of circular dots. And, and you need it because she's crazy and you're not and she's so cool. And Sure. And I mean, Murakami did the same thing with Louis Vuitton. There's like quite a few collaborations. I know Uniqlo has been doing... Yeah. It, it, in a way, like normally you would think, I think traditionally that would be considered compromising your uh, artistry and uh, compromising your artistic identity, connecting with a brand. But mm-hmm. I think at this point it really made them reach a much larger audience and made them realize much bigger projects, if that's what you're into. Yeah, in marketing, in marketing, they would call that a channel, though. Like, they just added a Yeah, but traditionally, it, like, it, it would, would have been a filthy thing for a fine artist to be connected to a beauty brand. Mm-hmm. Now it's just considered one of, like, there's a, I was talking to a friend who works at, at well, I was talking to a friend at Etsy, and not about artists, but about, people who make crafts for Etsy. And I think that some of those people are artists, don't get me wrong. So some of the people that sell work on, on Etsy are artists. Some of them are, you know, you know, crafts nerds or whatever, like they're makers, they're all kinds of people. But the most successful people on Etsy are no longer uh, do using just Etsy. They have what's called a multi-channel approach. And so a channel is just a path from you to a customer. Um, 
but no, the most successful people have multiple paths to their customers. So there's Etsy, and there's the Instagram, more paths you there's have, Kickstarter, and you use all of them. Yeah, you use all of them. It's called a multi or omni-channel approach. Um, and if you just have one channel, you know, if that channel's not the right one, Someone you're, deletes kind of, your channel. you're kind of screwed. <laughs> yeah, like your BYOB <laughs> channel. Um, like, I mean, even our podcast has multiple channels, right? We're available on iTunes. Uh, we're available on SoundCloud. We're available on what are the ones that no one uses? <laughs> Stitcher. Um, and But if we were only available on one, unless there was something in it for us, like some exclusive deal, uh, we wouldn't do that, right? And a lot of times artists will constrain themselves to one channel, but that's not true among most successful artists. Like one gallery might be, you think, a good idea, but probably you're going to need more than one gallery. And probably you're not just going to need a gallery. You're also going to need a website and you're probably not going to need a website. You're going to need all these social media profiles and you're probably not just going to need to do one type of work. Like it, it, it really like depends on the person. You have to do yeah. performances. It, it, there's no, that, yeah. That's the funny thing with art. There's, I don't know if it, in business even if there are clear rules, but I think there's pretty easy methods for if you want to start a wholesale um insole resell distribution company there's rules you can follow i don't think with art you could say oh you need to be diversified and operate in many countries but that for some people it doesn't fit their personality they just want to sit in sure. in their room and let someone else figure out all the other stuff um so it's very different per person i mean my, yeah I, it is. My, my, my job is not to determine what's right for you. My job is just to tell you the secrets of success. <laughs> but like, and then they're not successful for me. I don't always employ these strategies either, nor do I think about them consciously. Because like I said earlier, that's intention with my own feelings about the world. Like I'm like, ah, I can't do that. That would be the right thing to do if I was an advertiser. Like I'm always in that position because I know a lot about the field. It makes me uncomfortable, right? Because yeah, and and maybe there's like to be, there's explicit uh, advertising, and then there's more the art world, the more hidden advertising. Yeah, well, that's the art world's always been my escape <clears throat> from a lot of the things. Anyway, I do explore those themes in my. That's work, also but... the interesting thing because ideally you would you think what can art do that all the other modes of production of cultural production can't do, and so. One of the promises is that art is longer lasting, that pop culture expires quickly. And one of sure. the other promises is that artists are pure, they're not driven by money choices, and they're driven by their own curiosity, and they, they're, they're, they're so cool that they don't care about money. So there's this thing in the art. I thought you were just going <laughs> to yeah. I thought you were gonna say it's just like that they can be ignorant. Yeah. That's one of the summary. What seems that to work in, in art is when you pretend you don't care about money the less you seem aloof and yeah. not interested in success the more people trust you but there here that's great it's a hundred percent full circle iphone ad in the subway iphone like screen that is the most aloof ad for what they consider a revolutionary it should, it product, should be like right? a so, big screen and say whatever <laughs> You'll buy it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You know you want it. <laughs> We've probably exhausted uh, our good points for today. What do you think? Should we get on to our field recording? Yeah, uh, I think that's a good idea. What do we have? Uh, we have kind of a cool field recording, don't we? Yeah. What I think is Our cool. listener, Peter Strom, sent in a field recording of his spinning class. And he said, uh, I know spinning class doesn't sound too cool, but it actually is. And uh, he recorded, it's a 45-minute recording. We're going to cut 
a smaller part and then you'll hear his coach going come on and loud techno music and he says he loves the energy so. <laughs> have you ever been to a spin class have you ever done it no i'm curious i, I want to do it <clears throat> okay you should do it you should you should go with a friend or maybe the next time i'm in new york we can do it together but like i've done it once and it was it do you laugh your ass it's off? actually scary no, no, no. Okay. you're you 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 almost die <laughs> like because the level of intensity is very high and you have this person yelling at you to push. Yeah. And it's like you're in a club, but you don't have a choice whether or not you dance or not. Anyway, uh, I encourage you to try, <laughs> try it out. It's very fun. Uh, very intense. I mean, we, we all have to move maybe. more. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, our Apple watches are telling us to. Cool. Well, let's listen to uh, Peter Strom's spinning class. Thank you, and see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Send it, keep sending in your ads and field recordings. Ads, I guess. Come back, come back.